We have now released issue three of the New Thinking Aloud magazine. Download it for free at newthinkingaloud.org. New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring how to cultivate psychic abilities. My guest is Sean McNamara. He is the author of over a dozen books on numerous topics related to parapsychology. We've already done interviews about UFOs and their impact on our culture. We've talked about psychedelics and uh, its relationship to psychic abilities. But Sean has written about out-of-body experience, about meditation, about remote viewing, about telekinesis, and many other aspects of psychic functioning. He's been leading groups to train these abilities for years. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. It's great to be with you. And once again, thank you for making the trip from Denver to Albuquerque to be with me here in this little studio. Thanks. So, we were talking earlier about your journey. You've been involved in writing step-by-step manuals for people to develop psychic abilities. But you said something that struck me, and maybe it's a good entry point into our discussion, that you feel like you're ready to give that phase of your life up, that training uh, people to cultivate psychic abilities and to continue to cultivate your own is no longer as big a priority as it once was. Yeah, it's uh it's an interesting time for me because I've I've taught a lot of people these abilities in the classroom and online and through my books. And something happened in the previous in the past year when I was doing the research with psychedelics and psychic abilities. It was specifically when I did the LSD experiment that I had a spiritual experience unlike anything I've ever felt before with psychedelics and without. So, a lot of my time has been spent meditating. This surpassed all of it. And it was a sense of satisfaction and understanding that this ordinary life is fine. <laughs> For I, I couldn't choose a less exciting way to describe it, but it, that it's intrinsic to reality, to the universe. And I think part of my motivation used to be to try and develop my psychic abilities as if it would improve me as a person or give me greater access to something or maybe even make me more happy somehow. And after these years practicing for myself and teaching it to others, I've come to what I'm sure is a well-known conclusion that no, being more psychic doesn't bring you more happiness necessarily. It doesn't necessarily make you a better person. And I think I've just done it so much too that I, I can put it to bed for myself, that it's time for me to turn my attention to more or ordinary things or just, just regular life. Because now with this understanding that I had from that experience, 
the ordinary aspect of life is just as exciting for me as the psychic world is. I still think it's beautiful. It's exciting. Last month I taught uh, 20 people in the mountains in a place called Estes Park in Colorado. We spent a week together developing their clairvoyance and telepathy, and it was wonderful. It was perhaps the best the best psychic effect I've seen it produced in any group I've led. And I, don't, I can't explain why, but they, they worked hard. That's certainly part of it. And it was really inspiring. But even with that, I think I've just come to a point where when I, when I meditate now, it really is just to, to be here in my body just as it is, just to be with life as it is, no longer to try and become something more or to escape anything, which I think was always an undertone of how I used to practice before. But I'll always consider it one of the most inspiring and joy, joy creating aspects of my life were these few years when I taught people how to access their own abilities because I, I saw amazing things and the people who experience it, they, they, they experienced something that they'd been looking for for a long time and it was not all that difficult. So they got it and they could use it in any way they wanted part of their spiritual understanding or just psychic training or just the fun of being alive. So I'm always going to appreciate it that way. It's just beautiful memory shared with other people. It, what you're saying reminds me of the distinction between the Vajrayana Buddhism of Tibet, which I believe you've practiced, and Zen. In Zen, they say um, chopping wood and uh, carrying water uh, before enlightenment or after enlightenment is beautiful. That's that's what life is about. In, in Vajrayana Buddhism, it's about reaching to the tutelary deities and traveling through the bardo plains and uh, opening up your your chakras and uh, all of these mystical experiences. And, and the Zen people are saying, you know, chopping wood and carrying water is just as good as any of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I think there's – in my life, I experienced this in-between of working really hard and trying to develop myself according to certain levels that have been described in the scriptures and things like that, ways to measure spiritual progress. And then somewhere along the way, realizing I, that the top of the mountain was already present on the first step. And I don't have to try and keep climbing. I, I could... Rest, and I'm by no means claiming any sort of enlightenment or that I'm a reach some sort of spiritual peak or anything like that. I, I don't make that claim. It's just that that I got what I was looking for through the psychic exploration and through working with other people. And I, I probably will from time to time still train people because connecting with people brings me joy. So I could do that, or I could t teach piano classes. I don't know. That's just an example, but just teaching something or working with people, that still brings me joy. So for that reason alone, I might still continue to train, but for, for my own development, um, I've experienced so much. I don't know if I can do any more. And I kind of just want to, uh, focus on regular things. Well, you're going through some sort of a phase shift. Mm hmm. 
which I think is, is a normal thing that people do from time to time. On the other hand, you've got many readers of, of your books and workshops and so on. They're probably going to demand more from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I sort of just follow the thread of my life yeah. and something might arise that keeps me involved somehow or maybe I'm just taking a break for a long time. But that you bring up the books, you know, I wrote them in such a way that if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, nobody would need me for their development because all the instructions are in the books. I took inspiration in my writing style from when I taught myself to have an out-of-body experience, which kicked all this off for me. I learned it from a, a book. The author was William Buhlman, and I also read books by other authors like Robert Monroe and others. Um, but I really like Buhlman's style, and he, and through his books, he teaches in a way that's he leaves it up to the individual. Here are the instructions. You do the work, and you will have the experience. No need for a special blessing or permission or going to expensive, like very expensive retreats. I'm not against charging money or, or paying money, but some some traditions really ask for a lot. Um, so none of this giving your power to someone else stuff. It's just here are the instructions. Maybe if you follow them and train wholeheartedly, you'll have the experience that you're looking for. So I took my inspiration from him writing my instructions that way. So I'm unnecessary at this point. People can just read the books or do the online courses. And if they work really hard at it, if they really have the passion, they'll probably have the experience they want. Well, I can say two things about where you're at from my perspective. First of all, you're following your intuition, mm -hmm. which is maybe the most important psychic gift of all. It's like, what should I do next for my life? What, what deeper question can a person ask? And yet, and also, secondly, on the other hand, uh, all, or almost all, let me say that, almost all, of the spiritual traditions say pursuing psychic gifts is a distraction from enlightenment and can lead, as a matter of fact, to a number of different pitfalls, namely reinforcing the ego. I, I would agree with that. So for a while, I took the view that I was learning these psychic abilities as a way of investigating reality. So for me, it, it was a spiritual path. That was just my approach. I don't teach it that way, but people can take it that way if they want to make it their spiritual path. It was a way of observing reality. So, in a way, it's a type of science. It's just parapsychology, science. And, but it was in a way that was free of some of the religious lay overlays and free of dogma, even though science has its own dogmas, of course. But so I was using it that way. And I saw that it does have a limit. I, it does have a limit. And in myself and through interactions with others, I do see that it can inflate the ego or it can maintain the ego. Um, it can be an obstacle. And really, it's however a person is, it really just amps everything up because then they just become more of who they are. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it can, you know, even in the 
some of the spiritual circles that I run in, I, I see this, that some people really get a little bit aggressive or there's a little bit of I'm better than you kind of thing or, or and they're making claims that may not be true. So it's really tricky. I think, I think training in psychic abilities has the same problems that any other spiritual group would have or maybe that are even present in UFO groups or in corporate America, or the church down the street. You know, it's just a human thing. So I think all the same obstacles are there. And that's neither good nor bad. It's just the way thing, things are. But, um, but I'm following my intuition for sure to say, I think I, I'm ready for a break, and maybe it's only temporary, and maybe it's, it's, it'll just be a time of my life that happened that I can always look back on fondly for the most part. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the details now. And practically all of your books, to my understanding, are step-by-step instructions. You do this, and then you do that, and maybe you avoid doing something along, along the way as if there's a process that is to be followed if you're going to unfold these abilities. And uh, the process leads to particular identifiable results. You, you follow the process and you reach the goal. Then another point of view, and I think it's probably one that I lean towards more, is that uh, psychic abilities are not going to be controlled by the ego. And they appear uh, according to some sort of higher logic and they come when they come, and and it's it's very very risky to set yourself up as a psychic counselor or a, a, a psychic remote viewer who is you know for hire mm-hmm. Be, because some days are good days and some days are bad days and <laughs> uh, we haven't yet figured out exactly why. Although, you know, we can point to all kinds of factors like, you know, the the distractions that come up in normal living. The way I teach these techniques, they're very meditative. They're about relaxation. They're about surrender, which has the echoes of meditation instructions in them. To actually soften the sense of self and soften the division between self and other. So, if someone can do that then the practice does take on that spiritual dimension. But when someone fails to follow the instructions and they start pushing, let's say they're trying to do telekinesis and move a little piece of tinfoil balanced on a needle under a glass container, they're trying to move it. And instead of following the meditative instructions, they're trying to force it. And they're, you know, it, nothing happens because of the tension, the psychological tension, perhaps the energetic tension, if that's at play, the transfer of information stops flowing because this big sense of self really wants something to happen, and that is moving in the opposite direction of what really seems to work better, which is completely softening, opening, letting go, and relaxing deeply. And I think those instructions work well across the spectrum of psychic perception, um, especially with clairvoyance and telepathy, when you're the receiver, mm-hmm. to just relax and let go, and don't worry about the results. Yeah, but when you're doing psychokinesis or telepathic transmission, often it's the opposite, that you want to be energized and 
is Andrea Puharich, as, as you know, in his book, Beyond Telepathy, talks about the adrenergic state. You got your adrenaline going or you know, all of the research on what are known as crisis apparitions. When somebody is in an accident or they're even dying, that's when uh, other people get telepathic messages from them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a lot of energy in being the sender, so in telepathy, sending the message, you want to be energized. With telekinesis, there is that quality of energy to it. That if we think of, imagine a, a river flowing down a mountain in Colorado. The flow of the water has so much energy and power to it, yet it's effortless for the river. It's not trying to flow it lets go and it just is and the flow happens naturally. So in telekinesis, when someone follows the instructions, they're really just opening and then whatever needs to flow flows naturally. It's that when someone, tr which is the most powerful state for the energy flow, when it's just allowed rather than forced. The act of forcing actually is like putting a dam in the river and stops the flow. So if we can let go and open, then whatever flow or transformation uh, sending of information happens happens at the best quality. So we did an experiment, my friends and I, years ago with remote viewing, and we used that uh, adrenergic principle of Puharich. And what we did was during the feedback stage of the experiment, when people were seeing the target that they had been trying to perceive several hours earlier, so at that point they become the sender. I had them dunk their arms in buckets of ice-cold water to cause them pain. This is a common technique in psychology because it doesn't cause permanent damage at all. But it raises the blood pressure a little bit. It gets people excited. It's just a feeling of pain with the idea that it would enhance the information transfer across space and time. In other words, they're, they're sending a target image to themselves in the past. Yes. Yes. That's the idea, the feedback. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, it's beautiful telepathy with oneself across time. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the experiments when we correctly predicted the pick three lottery mm -hmm. as a team. Mm -hmm. So, there's something to that that we can use our physiology a certain way to perhaps boost the psychic signal if that's really what's happening. You know, we're, I think as humans, we're still trying to figure that out. So, overall, there's that balance of energy and allowing, setting a direction to one's intention and then letting go. So, when someone practices archery, there is the initial tension of drawing the bow and pulling the arrow back. But for the arrow to fly, one must let go, right? And so, that's the sweet quality with psychic abilities. The building up the tension, setting your intention, and then letting go yeah. completely. And then waiting. There's a lot of waiting for something to happen. That happens with spoon bending too sometimes. When we, in a group, gather and we're screaming at the spoon after we've gathered the energies, bend, bend, bend. The next instruction is generally wait, let go. Just let go. And at a certain time, in a certain moment, you'll feel the impulse of, oh, I should check. And then the spoon gives very easily. 
Sometimes when people scream, Ben, 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 and immediately try to bend the spoon, nothing happens, or they're using 100% muscular force because they're not letting go. There needs to be that letting go almost to just get out of the way so that whatever larger force is at play, it has room to come in and soften the metal, if that's what's happening with spoon bending, or take away some of the atomic structure, if that's what's happening. There are different hypotheses. But so it is the balance of trying and then allowing and let, letting you're, go. You're putting your finger on a very key point. I know in my own life, for example, I don't call myself a psychic at all, but I, my life has been guided by certain events. And there was a time in my life when I had a dream. We talked about this earlier. I was uh, agonizing for months. That was the stress. I knew I had to change my career direction. I was a young man mm -hmm. at the time, 1972. And I, I was a graduate student in criminology. I had had a mystical experience, very powerful. My great uncle Harry came to me at the moment of his death and sort of took me along and on a journey into the afterlife. And, and when I came out of that dream, I was crying tears of joy. It was so wonderful and singing a sacred song from the Jewish tradition. And so at that point, I knew I could no longer continue on the path I was on, similar to your path. I was working in the psychiatric unit of San Quentin prison doing group therapy with murderers and oh, rapists. Wow. And, and I thought the time has come to shift my whole career direction away from the negative side of human deviance, which is a fascinating field, to the positive, to explore mysticism, intuition, creativity, and psychic functioning. But there were no ways to do that. So I agonized for months. And I think it was very important that I did spend months thinking, how am I going to do this? Can I do that? Can I go this way or check the university or, you know, find out who can help me? And there seemed to be nothing. And then one day, finally, I let go. And at that moment, I knew the answer was going to come to me in a dream. I just knew. I didn't know what the answer was, but I knew that that night, there would be a dream. It was a, a certainty. I can't say how I knew, but I knew. And indeed, I, I had this dream. Uh, I've talked about it many times. I think you have heard me talk about it where I, I was visiting some friends in their home. They weren't there. I found a key. I let myself in, found a magazine called I, E-Y-E, I, and, and the floor, paged through it and woke up from the dream knowing that's the answer. And still not knowing what it was, but it was an amazing, I would say, guidance from a higher source or psychic abilities because I acted out the dream, went to that apartment, found a magazine right where I knew I'd find it. And I also happened to know where they hid the key so I could let myself <laughs> in because nobody was there. And, and that was the magazine that 50 years ago led me to what I'm doing with you today, right at this moment, having an interview. So, of course, that took months. Mm -hmm. But it's, again, it's the process of 
tightening up, focusing, stressing out if you need to stress out, and then letting go. It's a universal process, I think. Yeah. It's like giving birth, right? Not, yeah. I think, from what I know about people who give birth, the, mm -hmm. the, the tension, the pushing, pushing, yeah. and finally there's the release. Well, they say sometimes, what, the boy is the father of the man? Oh. Mm -hmm. In a way, I gave birth to myself. Mm. And you, aside with um, following your intuition, or as part of that, that's really important, you trusted yourself. I think uh, for a lot of people, the challenge is to, you receive some guidance or a direction or a dream, and then, can I trust it? Yeah. Can I trust myself? Should I, should I do this, or... Should I just brush it under under the rug? Mm -hmm. And you trusted it, you followed through, and the results are undeniable because of that. It was a life-changing decision, and the time I made it, it led me to my career as an interviewer. Uh, but when I made that decision, I didn't own a radio or a television, and I had this hippie-like idea. <laughs> that all electronic communication was phony. And I'll admit, a lot of it is, but at the time, I, I wanted nothing to do with anything. Uh, having to, I thought only face-to-face -face communication was real. But I changed my mind then. I'm glad I did. It, it led to the life I've been uh, living and, and enjoying so much for decades. Yeah. And we still get to have the face to face yeah. and now share it yeah. this way. Yeah. But, uh, but it, it, sometimes you really need to stress out. <laughs> so balancing that, yeah, stressing, stressing out is okay. As long as at some point you either get too tired that you have to let go mm -hmm. or you're smart enough to say, I've stressed out enough and I'm going to rest and wait, mm -hmm. wait to see what happens. And there's that trust that the the universe will respond in some way. But also with regard to being psychic, now I've had lots of small psychic experiences in my life. I don't try to make them happen usually, although occasionally I've been in the laboratory and done things. But there, the big ones like that, I've had two or three big experiences in my life and they've set a pattern that in that case, for example, lasted for 50 years or more. You don't need to be psychic all the time. <laughs> you know, when you find one that sets you on the right course for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's similar to psychedelics in that way where some people only, they only want to do it one time. And when they're done, they say, that's great. And they never do it again because it gave them all the information they needed mm -hmm. about themselves or about their beliefs about reality. And that's it. And the rest of their life moves forward from that and they never have to do it again. So, yeah, it's, um, it can be that way. All you need is one moment of insight and the rest of your life goes in the direction that, that you want or that maybe is destined. I don't know what language to use here, but, yeah. Ramdas once said, uh, once you get the message, you can hang up the phone. <laughs> right. That's, that's perfect. That's perfect. And I think maybe that's why I'm starting to back away from my involvement with psychic exploration because I think I've, I think I can hang up the phone. Well, and there's a deeper question that people need to ask themselves, which is why? Why do they want to do this? What's their goal? Such an important question. 
I even ask myself once in a while, what do I really want? And I still am unable to answer that question completely, which is troubling to me. I think it's been a cause of a lot of problems for myself in my life mm -hmm. that I've never had a crystal clear vision for where I want to go or what I want to do or who I want to be. And maybe that's okay, but I can see how it could be very helpful. <laughs> there are people out there who become enormously successful and happy because they knew they had a vision and they stuck with it and followed that thread all the way there. They just somehow they were born knowing this is what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> My old friend Gary Zukoff, the author of The Seed of the Soul and many other books, I, I once called him and on his answering machine, I got his message. He says, Please leave a message. Tell me who you are and what you want. And if you can do that, you're well ahead of 90% of the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. Maybe I thought practicing psychic abilities would help me find out the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. But they haven't. Well, it's a philosophical question, but even deeper than that, it has a spiritual import as well. I'm reminded of when I took a psychic training program uh, with my friend Ted Owens, the PK man, and uh, who this is a guy who was you know the master of psychokinesis. He would point his finger and lightning would strike and uh, control hurricanes, tornadoes, UFO appearances, earthquakes. Big, big, major power blackout. So I, I took his training course because for a long time I didn't believe I should pay attention to him because, like everybody, he, he had misses and and his personality was could be very abrasive at times and dangerous. But I felt that I came to a point where I said I got to pay attention to this man. I'll take his training program. I did with some friends. And he, at the beginning of the program, he said, well, what do you want to do with this ability? And I thought to myself, I don't want to do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not interested in, in power blackouts and <laughs> making lightning strike or UFO, uh, calling down UFOs. I said, and I thought about it. And I said, what I really want in my life is to be a communicator to the world at large about the realities of psychic functioning. And so I think the training program, I think, was effective. It was only a few months after I completed that program that I launched my first television series that was successful beyond my wildest dreams, actually. Yeah. And did you find that you, all the pieces fell into place and you could see them falling into place? Or was some of it an act of faith of just moving forward one day at a time? And I've, I've been fortunate. Now, I don't seek people who are psychics, but I have a lot of friends who are. And on one occasion, one of my friends, Carol Dreyer, who has been a guest on the original Thinking Aloud series, a very well-known psychic to the stars in Los Angeles and a lovely woman, uh, and she had a little cable TV show in uh, Los Angeles. And she invited me down at her expense 
to be a guest interview on her program. And so we did that. And then she said to me, the reason that she did, did all this, she, she said, um, I want you to go back to San Francisco where you lived at the time. She says, you do exactly what I've done. You put this little cable TV program together, she said, and I promise you it'll be successful beyond your wildest dreams. Wow. And, and so from time to time, I've had psychic friends who felt the urge to reach out to me in ways like that. And uh, I would say I was open to that. And, I, you know, when psychic things come along, I'm open to them, but I'm not seeking them. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe the most trustworthy type of psychic information to receive when you don't start off asking for it, that it just comes. It's like in remote viewing, you can't be your own tasker and the viewer because then your conscious mind will get in the way and create probably a false impression of the psychic information. It has to be completely blind yeah. in a remote viewing experiment for the best results. So in your case, you're having a series of blind experiments where you're not even you're not even requesting, but information is coming unexpectedly, and then you trust it. Yeah. Now, there, I'll admit there are occasions when people who thought they had psychic abilities reached out to me, and, and I could tell right away it was bogus. I had a, a fellow uh, who thought of himself as a psychic healer. This is, oh my gosh, 40 years ago came to me, said, I, I need to tell you, you've got syphilis. Oh, oh, <laughs> I'm so glad I ignored him. <laughs> That's tough. In this realm, there is a lot of um, unrequested advice. Yeah, I mean, normally I I don't encourage people to give unsolicited advice. It's usually it's not a good thing to do. But uh, occasionally, when it comes to me from certain people who I know are gifted and uh, they have a certain aura about mm -hmm. them that I can trust. Yeah. And it's turned out to be incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if the information about you came to them spontaneously. It's not like they were setting out to get your attention on purpose. No, I don't think so. No. Yeah. Whereas this other character, maybe there was, he just wanted your attention or something like that. It's something so. like that. So it's, you know, it's, it takes the art of discernment to distinguish between an authentic, mystical, psychic impulse coming from someone and, or whether it's coming from a, a deep psychological need or an ego need. Yeah. It, the water gets muddy sometimes for sure. That's why when I teach, I like giving the students exercises that are evidence-based. Mm -hmm. They'll never be fooling themselves or making something up. You'll see the results. Either you had a hit or a miss, and let's work on the quality. If it wasn't entirely a great hit, but you got some aspects, what can we do to refine it? So it's important that we don't fool ourselves in this realm because it's very it's very easy to do. It's a natural thing to want to be special or want to exhibit special powers or abilities. That's There's nothing wrong with that. But then we have to see for sure yeah. <laughs> instead of just trying to convince the world without evidence. So, But the evidence is important because in my classes from time to time, 
let's say, energy healers will come. And they'll come to get that kind of direct evidence because they want to make sure that when a patient or a client of theirs is on the table and they're holding their hands over them, healing, that something is actually happening. So when they come to a telekinesis class and they actually can move the object from a distance, it's okay, that's, thank you, that's verification. Or if someone practices telepathy and their impressions match the image that the sender was sending, if they happen to be a psychic reader, they can be sure that, okay, I think they're, I do have this ability. I'm not just making it up. It's one of the basic learning paradigms is feedback. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of uh, Charles Tart, yeah. one of his books, How to Learn Extrasensory Perception. Right. He, he explains how giving someone immediate feedback is a really powerful form of learning, mm -hmm. that that reinforces the ability instead of giving someone feedback delayed, maybe the next day or some That's time right. far off in the future. Immediate feedback really helps someone develop their ability in a, in a good way. So, his, he, that book was important for... He wrote that book, if I remember rightly, in the, the late 1960s or maybe even early 70s. And it was largely a reaction to card guessing mm -hmm. experiments where uh, people didn't get the immediate feedback card after card. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe they got some feedback after they went through a deck of 25 cards and they reported what they call the decline effect. The, the scores dropped. They started out high and then they de decline. And Tart said, well, that's what you'd expect when you don't get immediate feedback. Right. <laughs> he really has his finger on the human quality of psychic experimentation, the human aspect, the emotional aspect, the, the psychological drive. It's just like when you train an athlete, the coach has to know the athlete's moods, their diet, how weather affects them, what's going on with their family at the time. All of these factors come into play with how well an athlete learns and performs and improves or heals from injury. It's the same thing with psychic development. And so, Dr. Tart figured that out, that giving someone very fast feedback helps the psychic develop themselves versus mm -hmm. making them do these long, boring <laughs> tests, all these trials before they actually find out if they were right or wrong. Of course, there would be a decline effect. So that he, he really, he knew that. And a lot of people don't. And they put these people through these mindless <laughs> tests. It's really important to keep things interesting. Mm -hmm. So when I did this recent retreat, we had a week together. I don't think we ever repeated the same experiment at all. So every hour or two, it was a completely different exercise, whether it was clairvoyance or telepathy, but it was switching it up over and over again, taking breaks um, and keeping people focused through fun and relaxation and social connection. So mm -hmm. all of these are important. The social aspect is so important for the performance aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Novelty. Novelty. <laughs> is important that the task doesn't become boring right. over time. Which is difficult for scientists because boring, repetitive tasks are very easy to score and measure. And then you can do your statistical analysis and all these things that people like to do when they're trying to prove something mm -hmm. or show strong evidence for a psychic presence. But if you're not worried about proving it to anybody, 
or giving evidence, and all you want to do is have people explore their natural ability, you can let go of the need to make something easily measurable and just look with your eyes and compare the drawing to the target and say, yeah, I think you got it. Let's celebrate. Now, earlier you were telling me something very interesting. You said that you're a slow learner. You have a hard time learning all of this stuff. But I gather once you do, you, you you go through a lot of effort to train yourself, for example, to have an out-of-body experience or to do telekinesis or remote viewing. But once you do it, you are able to take the process you went through and write it out for other people in a step-by-step -step fashion so they can avoid a lot of the pitfalls that you ran into. Right. Um and it happens in the classroom too, where something that took me months to develop on myself in a, in a two hour class, they're doing <laughs> the very same thing, which drives me nuts sometimes, right? Because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see, but it's frustrating. Like, why did I have to work so hard at it? But, um, but I think there's also the group effect that makes everything happen faster too. But yeah, I'm, I'm hard on myself. That's just part of my character. Maybe it's developmental. I don't know. And trusting the results I'm getting. I'm always second guessing myself. And, um, and really also, I have to admit, being scared to even put myself out there. I'm naturally an introvert. A lot of people say everything you've done contradicts that completely, but I am an introvert and I am very sensitive to criticism and things like that. And, putting myself out as someone who can show someone to develop their abilities is like waving a big target flag in front of myself for criticism and doubt and all that. Kick and me. Kick me. <laughs> Do you hear what's coming out of my mouth? You know? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's been hard for me to share that part of myself, even though I get so much joy out of it. It's kind of exhausting, especially in the social media age. And I never really talk about this, but I do have to delete a fair amount of hate mail from time to time or unfair criticism, that type of thing. I'm always open to fair criticism. Yeah. But it's rampant on the internet these days. We have a an etiquette policy. Uh, People post nasty comments on, on the New Thinking Aloud videos and I block them mm -hmm. for further commenting. They're welcome to be critical uh, if they do it politely. Yeah. They don't have to disparage somebody just because they disagree. Right. I have to commend you and everyone else on your show that you really expose yourself by being on video out for anyone in the public to see. So it's there is some always some sort of social risk there, of course. Just like someone, an airline pilot telling their boss they saw a UFO, you know. Maybe it's not to that degree, but it's always risk of saying I believe these things are real. Yeah. yeah. But at least we have a community of, of some sort. You have the New Thinking Aloud community, and I have my friends in Denver who we can verify each other's experience. So if anyone out there listening is by themselves and they know they have an ability or they've had experiences, I hope that they can find one or two or 20 friends somewhere yeah. that could say, yeah. We also have a Facebook group called the New Thinking Aloud Psy Experience Community. Over a thousand participants of people who, you know, it, it's an online Facebook community, but it is a community. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's really important. Mm -hmm. That's so great that you're doing that. And, of course, we live in the Internet age. So uh, the strange thing is people communicate more than ever, and they're lonelier than ever at the same time. It's a strange world. Yeah that we're in yeah and the last few years have changed things too in terms of how often people meet in person it might be rebuilding now but some groups that i used to give presentations to there'd be a hundred people there and then COVID happened yeah. and so people stayed home more yeah. and some of that's still happening but when i think of you and the you know the people you've gathered i have to admit i have to remember the that movie that x-men Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Xavier. <laughs> All these people who are perhaps rejected by their friends and family, but they have community together and it, it brings out the best in them. You know, we actually have an artist who made a comic book cover. We put it on T-shirts with <laughs> me as Dr. Xavier. <laughs> yeah. I, I can relate to that. I've always related to uh, the way psychic functioning is, has been portrayed in, in the media, even Ghostbusters. And these days there are more, there seems to be more of that happening, I think, because of cameras being everywhere that mm-hmm. we can capture these phenomena more often. Of course, we still have to use our intelligence when evaluating what we see on the screen. We might think something is something mystical, but it turns out to be a moth. But occasionally there are films that really do treat psychic functioning in in an authentic way. A lot of it is sensationalized. I don't watch horror movies. I tend to think they really go out of their way to sensationalize it. But there there are some beautiful uh, films. Lately, in the last couple of years, I've enjoyed a lot of the UFO documentaries. Mm -hmm. And because they're capturing more of that human aspect, that what happens to the people after the experience? And... So, because it really is an emotional thing. I think sometimes we talk about psychic phenomena like it's this thing, but it affects us in our hearts and, and every part of us. You know, it's highly personal. I think in, in the books where I have my friends be participants in our experiments, I explain in the books that we can be grateful to them because by letting them show, show, by letting me print their transcripts, mm-hmm. They're granting access to some of the deepest part of their consciousness where these psychic phenomena occur. It's highly personal. It's very intimate. I can't think of anything more intimate than that. Like looking into someone's soul is what happens when we read someone's psychic transcript because it came from somewhere in the neighborhood of that. And that's probably the number one reason why everybody listening to this program would want to... uh, if not cultivate their own psychic abilities, be familiar with the language, with the symbols, with the literature in the field, because it's about self-knowledge, ultimately. You're not going to know who you are if you don't have an appreciation for the fringes of consciousness where mystical and psychic and intuitive experiences take place. Ultimately, it's about self-knowledge. I can't even put it back. <laughs> you put it perfectly there. Yeah. So well. It's, it's a, the, if we want, if we seek wholeness, we must include that aspect yeah. for sure. Uh, people who go through life in denial of this realm of reality are denying themselves 
ultimately, because uh, from my point of view, at least, we all share in our humanity. This it's not just for gifted special people. It's, we all are conscious. Being conscious means participating in, in I would say, the divine spark. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What a shame to not ever witness it or appreciate it or celebrate that aspect. It is ourself. Yeah, that's a real loss. And I think actually you can trace so many of the problems in our culture to uh, people who go through life completely – I'm looking for the right word here – blocked from, from the divine spark within them, blocked to the point where they become numb. And, and that numbness leads to, frankly, cruelty. Uh, and to the extent that there's cruelty and oppression in the world, it's because people are numb to their own divinity. Yes, and the, the, there's something I think that's natural in humans that gets blunted then. That this, we seek meaning. And when we come in contact with our, that deeper aspect of ourselves, either in myself or in other, we discover a meaning through connection. And when people feel disconnected, they no longer feel meaning for being alive, for living, for going day by day. And I wonder if sometimes when they act out in harmful ways or negative ways or aggressively, they're just trying to find any way possible to produce meaning in their life. It'd be, it sounds contradictory, but maybe they're seeking love by creating pain because they're both there's different sides of the same coin. Yeah. Or in particular, addictions. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm pretty much of, of the viewpoint that uh, meaning comes from God. Mm-hmm. The closer you are to God, whatever you think of as, as God, the more meaningful things are. Now, people often mistake God for power, like the closer you are to the President of the United States, the more meaning, or the richest person in your community, the more meaningful things become. Uh, but people are searching for that sense of union with the divine, ultimately, and it gets misplaced. Mm-hmm. It can be misplaced on drugs, misplaced on sex, misplaced on the search for, for power or money. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we all want union with the divine, and, it, and the irony is, it's there all the time, waiting for us. Yeah, absolutely, it's right in there somewhere. Which which brings about an important point, which is, you you could be an atheist and still agree with what I'm saying. You whether you call it, you know, the mystery or any other name, it doesn't have to be God with a white beard up in the clouds. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that um, the, the ultimate point is that psychic functioning doesn't exist independently of uh, the spiritual quest. They're one and the same, I think. There, uh, there may be many people with psychic gifts who don't seem particularly spiritual. That can happen just as with musical or athletic abilities. Mm-hmm. It's a talent like other human talents. 
But ultimately, it points us to, I mean, how is it that a remote viewer can describe the rings on Jupiter before any spacecraft or telescope has ever seen them, as, as Ingo Swan once did? It's because the rings of Jupiter are within our psyche. And he's a great example, too, that he had such a passion for life in his own way, particularly as an artist. Mm -hmm. And I think art is a way that we express our love for life itself yeah. and our, our passion about it, our wanting to express it. There's that notion of love. And so love can be included in this, for example, with, with my telepathy experiments, I did them with my wife. And our results were good. And I have to say, it's because of the love that shared between me and my wife. And my friends in Denver who we've done all these experiments, I think there's a, a, a deep friendship there and a, a type of its own platonic love there too. That connection that is expressed through the psychic transfer of our union. You know, <laughs> There have been lots of studies on... Um parent-child telepathy, for example, or telepathy between people who are lovers, or... Twins. Yeah, twin telepathy. My philosophy, for what it's worth, is to try to love everyone and everything all the time. It seems crazy. It's totally outside the bounds of conventional thinking where you, you love the things you love and you hate the things you hate, but I try to love the things I hate. Mm. And that could be the ultimate psychic ability, to be able to do that. And how much meaning? It's, it, it leads to so many paradoxes because you have to love the fact that you hate the things that you hate. <laughs> but it's because we live on many levels. There, at one level, I'm just like everybody else. I, I don't like spiders. In, especially in my bed. <laughs> Hate that. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, from a different uh, perspective, a different level of uh, seeing the world, uh, what a wonderful challenge. Mm -hmm. And who knows what really happens, but maybe a million years ago, your consciousness manifested in the body of a spider. Or maybe someday to come, you'll be reborn as a spider and get to see. Yeah, yeah many, you know? many. And you'll just hate it when there's a person in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings up uh, another important metaphysical principle, which is infinity. Mm -hmm. I, my friend Robert Bigelow is very clear. He says, I don't believe in the Big Bang. It didn't just start. Time didn't just begin 13.8 billion years ago. He said, it's infinite. Time and space are infinite, and consciousness is infinite. That would suggest that we, as the mystics say, we're one with everything, everything. So why not love it all? Yeah. And, it, and within that infinitude, you and I and people watching and all these aspects that we see here are still just temporary appearances within infinity yeah. which makes them so precious <laughs> you know we let's experience it fully and make them beautiful memories because we only have each other in the world for a certain amount of time yeah. and then infinity will manifest another 
version of all this, and who knows what happens after that. Well, Sean McNamara, what a delight for you to come here to Albuquerque and have these interviews with me in this conversation. It's been a joy. Thanks. I've really loved it, and uh, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome, and I hope you come back again. <laughs> After you've gone through your phase transition. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Okay. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us. You are the reason that we are here. I imagine that by now many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos.